We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and verse. Uh, we're going to continue our teaching. I won't take too long here so we can get to our praying. Let's just go ahead and, and um, review where we've been, because we've been in chapter 5, and we're heading to chapter 6 here pretty quick. Uh, we've covered the first uh, 16 verses. I'm not going to read all of that, but uh, <clears throat> we talked about you know rebuking an elder and, and worked our way all the way down to verse uh, you know 16, where it says, If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that they may relieve them that are widows indeed. So we saw this charge to give. What an appropriate you know season as we go into Christmas to talk about the charge to give. We saw the thesis was when we love God, we take care of our responsibility to others, um, and we address the members appropriately. We treat members of the body as family. Um, the difference between We saw the difference between uh, entreating and rebuking. We entreat an elder as a father, entreat the younger men as brothers, entreat the elder women as mothers, entreat younger women as sisters. Very systematically laid out. And then we talked about relieving responsibly. So, uh, addressing the members appropriately, relieving them responsibly, honoring the widows is natural, it's biblical, it's practical, and uh, it's also to be done within the parameters of First Timothy 5, 5 through 16. So, um, <clears throat> so, uh, so now uh, we're talking about how relieving the widows, uh, the the relief of the widows was. Oh, here we go. The relief of the widows was important. It was in Acts chapter 6 that the apostles instituted deacons because the widows of the body uh, had need. So the apostles responded to that responsibly. So tonight we're going to shift from the widows to the elders of the church. And the elders Paul refers to here are really the preaching and teaching elders and the administrative elders, elders of the church. Uh, he wasn't just referring to our grandpa you know, in the, in the first verse. Paul was not just addressing those who were aged. Uh, and elderly uh, in age, because Timothy is also included in this group. So Timothy wasn't elderly in age, but he was counted as an elder by virtue of his position and uh, as a bishop and elder of the church. So that brings us to First Timothy 5.17 in our text. So let's look at that, and then we'll get started. It says here, uh, for, um, uh, verse 17, I'm in verse 17, or I'm in verse 15. Verse 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin rebuke before all, that others may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine off, uh, in often infirmities. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. All right, so uh, this title here for our text is A Charge to Live, A Charge to Live. Heavenly Father, I pray as we get into this text, you just quicken it tonight. I know we have a handful here tonight. We're thankful for each and every one. We pray that the, the prayer tonight would be fervent and effectual and would avail much. Uh, pray, Lord, for the uh, elders in our church, Lord, the pastors, Lord, that we would all be uh, you know, following you in unison for your honor, your glory, and for the kingdom of God's sake, and, uh, and that we are, uh, to my knowledge. And so we're, I'm so 
so thankful for that. And, Lord, all the elders and all the churches with whom we have to do, Lord, we pray, God, that, uh, Lord, you continue to uh, provide and protect for that office, for this world needs strong and good leaders in uh, in the church uh, for the sake of the gospel and for your kingdom. Uh, Lord, uh, just uh, thank you and praise you for this time. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so a charge to live. This is a big deal because we're talking about elders that rule well in verse 17. Uh, and the thesis is those who preach the word should live the word, right? That's a, That goes without saying. Uh, so we had a charge to live, uh, and um, and this week we, we have a... Uh, I'm sorry, last week we had a charge to... My notes are messed up because it was probably late when I was doing A charge to give. This week is a charge to live. And so I just caught an error in my own notes. Uh, so um, so honor the faithful elder liberally is what Paul is telling us in, in verses 17 through 18. And uh, when he says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. So they're obviously elders that labor in something other than word and doctrine, but the ones that labor in word and doctrine especially uh, need to be counted worthy of double honor. So in verse 17, Paul uses the words double honor. Uh, This means to honor them with a double portion, Um, and that's why I used in my notes there in point A, liberally, because uh, it's it's a double portion. So when I think of a double portion, I think how Elisha... Uh, ask for a double portion, right, of Elijah's spirit, right? Give me a double portion, or, or pour out upon me that that double portion uh, that uh, that he wanted, right? And so Paul pre- prefaces this double honor uh, by those who rule well. He also points out the need to honor those who labor in word and doctrine. So it's a little awkward when I talk about this because I'm the senior pastor, but it's in the text, so I'm going to just hit it head on. So fortunately for me, the Lord has provided for me personally um, uh, and our pastors from the first day until now so I can speak on this with a clear conscience as the church has always provided graciously to me and our family. So uh, I'm not like saying, hey, give me give me honor, you know, our honorarium. But uh, the church provides for us so well in every way. So I'm not teaching that to ask HBF to do anything uh, more. I'm just hitting it because this is where we are in the text. So this is an important thing to understand. Um, of course, it's uh, you guys know I'm just working my way through here, but I need to. What was your thesis? I didn't. Uh, those who preach the word should live of the, live the word, not live of the word. Those who preach the word should live the word. Yeah, uh, that is the thesis, and I. Oh, live. Yeah, I don't have it marked out in mind. The previous for the other one was when we love God, we take care of our responsibilities to others. So that was uh, the first half of the chapter. Is what that, That's what the thesis there is Paul's teaching on that. That if you know if we love God, we're going to love others and take care of them. This is if, you know if we those who preach the word should live the word. So um, so there needs to be a, an actual executing of of what the word of God says in our lives. And so it's an important to understand um, uh, um, of this not only not only for the lead pastor because um, uh, I'm not the only pastor in the church. It's important that as we plant ch- uh, churches and send missionaries that we understand this passage and apply it in the churches we plant and send in the future. 
So even in foreign missions, this principle is important. We see this principle can be applied even when we're, uh, there's no finances involved. right? So this isn't just about money. Uh, in American terms, we think about money. Uh, but it's not just about money. It is about honor. Uh, that, and so and we ha- I have taught this in, like, um, in India because in some of those places they're so poor, there's like no financial means, but they can still bring something, right? Like I said today, what's in your hand? Um, and so they offer rice or they offer, you know, what they can. Um, and of course it's, it's according to what you have, not what you don't have. So we're not charismatics. Like, you know, some of the, sometimes some of the, and, and not just charismatic, sometimes there's men in pulpits that become covetous and they would actually hurt the flock, like ask them to give what they don't have, um, you know, which is not what Paul ever did, right? He's talking about the first fruits. Um, and so, uh, so take of the first fruits and use those to honor. Uh, now, interestingly enough, and I hadn't really thought much about this, so I was prepping this. It isn't, it doesn't, this came up in a board meeting, so it kind of came at the same time as I was prepping this. The, the board doesn't know that. It isn't talking about uh, honoring the building fund. <laughs> it's not talking about honoring projects. It is talking about honoring the pastoral leadership. And so, um, if, 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 and I, and I definitely would not say this normally on a Sunday morning. So this is the benefits of being here on a Sunday night. I do think probably if there's an area that Heartland could grow is in that understanding. And I don't mean that by most of the body, but by some of the body, uh, that, that, uh, I don't know. Cause I don't know who gives what or when, but there are some people I do know, uh, because I've been made privy not to the people, but to the process who like bypass giving to the local church, but they give to all kinds of projects. And it would seem that the the priority from the scripture is to give to the the needs of the body, meaning the word and the doctrine first, and then you would give to the other things, because we need help with the other things. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, we're, we're raising money for the playground, we're raising money for missions, we're raising money for this, we're raising money for that. You know, and missions is also a high priority, um, and those are kind of the two. But uh, this this is why I can't. It, the board reminded me of this not long ago that ultimately, if we were doing it by the book, meaning the Bible. The, the the salaries uh, they would not allow me to cut salaries <laughs> like I've done in the past because in their mind uh, that is the first priority it's not it's not eligible uh, if anything the lights go out before the salaries go out I was like wow I really hadn't thought about that and it just so happened I was preparing this and uh, you know Paul isn't talking about sustaining the building program he's talking about sustaining the the people who preach. So that is good um, in that sense. I, I don't usually present it or preach it like that. I've actually never said that out loud, actually. Uh, it's just something fresh, and you aren't going to hear me say that probably any other service. So, um, But that is actually what Paul's saying. You know, uh, Take care of those guys, those elders that are, are preaching the word first uh so that's especially uh you know talking about your pastoral team so when we started the church of course uh, there were families uh that insisted on calling me pastor so let's let's move away from finances for a minute and, and just talk about honor because when i first started the church it was so awkward for me to uh, first of all the culture that i came from we didn't call the pastors pastors it was jeff and uh you know whoever i could go through all the pastors that we had on the staff now, we recognized them, obviously. They were the pastors, and we honored them as such. But we didn't, the, the title pastor wasn't always necessarily uh, bandied about. Um, the very more casual approach and, you know, kind of bringing the men off the pedestal, so to speak, getting them down with the people and all of that, which is great for a discipleship church. Uh, and I have no problem with that. I'm very casual here. But when we started the church, there were a few families that said, no, we are going to call you pastor. 
And we want our and the main thing is we want our children to hear us calling you pastor. And when they said that to me, it really it set me back a little bit. Number one, because it's awkward for someone um, when you're not when you when you're not in the office of a pastor. I hate to say I'm kind of used to it now because I've I've owned like I said this morning. After a while, you become what you what you invest in. Um, but when I first started, you know, I was like, wow, and it was a healthy wow. Because when someone calls you pastor, I don't know about you all, but it, it really does. It makes you go. Uh, and I remember when Jimmy Boyette started carrying that title, I even had conversations with him about that. I'm like, Jim, being a pastor, it's like being an officer, man. It is different. I mean, you really, you, you just can't, it's, it's, it's different, right? Uh, you, you, foolish jesting, which is not convenient or whatever. I mean, you just got to be careful because it's the office. It's not you. It's the office of the, the title does carry weight. It carries honor with it. And so because it carries honor, you got to honor it. I immediately felt that as soon as people insisted that I'd be called pastor. It was almost like God was saying, Brian, you know, wake up, son. Uh, people are looking to you for leadership. You need to, you know, you got to own it. That's, that's what you're called to do. So I just can remember how humbling that was. And uh, So it was the best thing that could happen to the congregation, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the and the folks that, that, that demanded that, and they didn't demand it in a harsh way or anything, but they really were helping me grow as well, and uh, and they didn't. And I appreciated that. I still to this day. I can, that's why I remember it. And when I talk about this subject, it, it that in itself helps you esteem the the elders, right? And uh, and so um, now you can go overboard on all that for sure, and and people do. And then there's some you know wolves in sheep's clothing that take advantage of that, and that's not right either. So it really makes <clears throat> a healthy relationship. According to God, you know, you yes, are my pastor. Yeah, I'm going to give account at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't mean that in a negative way, in a positive way. It does press on you as a pastor. I mean, like you're not just—it's not a job; it's a calling, and uh, and God has expectations, and um, so you you should view the the congregation in light of that, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, it is healthy. I think for everyone involved, it keeps us all understanding uh, that God has established structure in His church. It's His structure, and it's an honor. It's an honor to be in it in any way, shape, or form. It's an honor to have a role of governance in it. I mean, man, that is well. That's the highest honor, really, is to serve in His in His church in whatever capacity. So. Um, so we should rule well. If we're in a position to rule, we should rule well. And and there's a benefit to ruling well. We should honor those. There's an indication, obviously, if there's those that rule well, there's those that don't rule well. And, uh, and fortunately, I think in my life, I've been around those that rule well. Well, I have been around those that don't rule well. So I've seen both, and uh, and it's good to be with those that rule well. And those that rule well, we should honor. So the reality of the office brings responsibility and accountability to the office of the pastor. And we've been talking about that, right, the responsibility uh, of giving and, and so on and so forth. So the, the church at HBF has always honored the office, the elder of uh, of 
of the church is to receive double honor. And Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 25.4 when he said, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. So that's exactly you know the passage that he's talking about. Paul, who also wrote to the church at Corinth and said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9.9, For it is written in the law of Moses that thou shalt not muzzle the ox that uh, treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care of oxen? So he he doesn't just say that once, and he says it more than once. Um, He says it here in uh, verse 18, and he says it in 1 Corinthians 9 to the Corinthian church. So the implication is the man who is faithful in the word and doctrine is likened to what? An ox. So if someone calls, if you're a pastor, Jeff, if someone calls you an ox, that's a compliment. Uh, So we should be faithful to plow like an ox, right? Uh, And press forward with the word of God till the soil of men's heart is tilled up and the seeds are planted and uh, and God has his way with the fertile soil of that field. So personally, my life uh, was changed in mighty ways from men who invested in the word of God and preached the word of God. And there's a reason when we have conferences, we stop everything and have God's men preach, right? There's something about the preaching of God's word. It's supernatural and it actually moves us and changes us. And it's not the people. It is, it is the people, but it's the process that God has established. He chooses to exalt his word above his name. And when we make the word first, we put the word first and we exalt the word of God, man, that, that's of the utmost importance. And, uh, and so uh, we need to be faithful in that. And keep treading out the corn, as uh, the Bible says. When I think about treading out the corn, right, I think about, honestly, I think about old uh, Samson, ironically, whose eyes were gouged out and he treaded out the corn, you know, like an ox until he eventually died at the end of that uh, that, that example in Judges. Um, and so that's not a really good example for a pastor because Samson was way off the rails. But uh, ultimately... His his life was of no value till he learned to tread out the corn. Yes. And to me, also, it's saying you know, doing that, treading out the corn, is not a glamorous, you know, look what he's doing type of job that you're doing. It's a, te- it might be a tedious, but it's a, something that you're going to be doing. Maybe yeah, maybe. it is tedious. I, I imagine. I wonder about that. Um, you know, my when I'm with my children, they know, like, you know, they know that it, it takes time. And uh, I've heard Jeff's family mention that too. He spends a lot of time in the Word. It, to put together a solid messages uh, and to tread out the corn properly, it, it just it takes time, you know, uh, to study things out, to cross-reference, to find out there's 12 mentions of this and that this is the first time God says it, you know, and so on. So, I mean, it just takes time. you got to take the time to dig and put it together and present it and so on and so forth. And I'm, I think it's great. It's a great thing to do. Uh, it's what we should be doing. Uh, but that's that's important. And because of that, it, it uh, you're right, it, it isn't glamorous at all. It, and it's and tedious is a good term. It can be tedious. Um, Otherwise, you don't have any corn ready. Correct. Right. You got to have the corn ready. And uh, I, today just so happened as an example. I, I mentioned several things that I personally learned for the first time. And that doesn't happen every Sunday. I mean, I'm refreshed often. There's many things I forget and I'm reminded of. Um, but this time in Exodus, for instance, I saw so many things I had never actually seen before. It was just blowing my mind. I was just like, wow, 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 you know. And that doesn't happen if you're not treading out the corn. You know, you've got to, you got to, you got to dig to get the gold sometimes. For me, it's always an example of 
But it's still exciting when we discover it, and it's it's exciting to learn it afresh. You know, sometimes I forget it and I hear it again. Sometimes Jeff or one of the other pastors, Bob or Randy or somebody, will pre- preach something. I'm like, oh, or Jim Stovall or something. I'm like, oh, I forgot that. That is so good, Steve. I don't want to leave anyone out, right, uh, Jason? So they'll they'll preach something, Jeremy, right? They'll preach. I'm like, oh, that is so good. Uh, or it's something I've never even heard. I'm like, wow, that is awesome. I had not heard that before. That is, and you can just see it. it just good, good. The truth is like good music when it's tr- when it's on, it's in tune, right? You know, it's it's consistent with all the other contexts of the Word of God, and so it's exciting. Uh, and that's how God keeps us going and treading out the corn. Uh, it may not be as exciting to y'all as it is to me, but it's exciting, right? I. Those three uh, three signs to Moses that I saw this morning, I never noticed that two of them were manifest to Moses and the third one wasn't, uh, and it will be in the in the tribulation. So for me personally, that's like, wow, I had never noticed that before. Now, I know that when I leave here on Sunday, like t- today, I, a good part of the congregation, that went right over their head because they don't know that Moses is going to appear in the tribulation. They don't know he's one of the two witnesses on the Mount of Transfiguration, but... You know, that's for that's for the people who do know it, and the others. Hopefully, they'll get in discipleship and learn and grow, and eventually that'll all come to them. And maybe they'll remember that and go, "Oh, that's what he was talking about." But anyway, uh, it's important to, to to have people that'll that will run the mill, so to speak, and tread out the corn and grind it up, um, uh, and 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 tread out the corn. Um, <clears throat> that's what an ox does. Is he should just break it all down, where people can get a hold of it. And that doesn't, by the way, mean, uh, this is important to note, uh, just with things like I'm using from this morning, it can be very practical and simple things. Some of the best preaching and teaching isn't, isn't the great, the deep doc, you know, doctrinal, uh, you know, concepts of dispensational theology necessarily. It, it can be just the most practical, uh, observance of a text that is laying there on the surface is in a practical application as well so i want to want to be careful there uh, because sometimes we glorify you know the deep the deep secrets of the word of god and miss what's less laying there uh, which we need to apply desperately and so uh, the ox uh, the ox helps us learn to break the word down itself and uh, I remember when I was a young man, I was all excited about the, the word corn. I was gr- I was growing in the word, and we were at a camp, and I had been seeing this word corn. I was running a, a I was I was wanting to know the significance of it because I'd been reading enough to know that man, this corn thing is important. So I went to the ox, right? I went to the pastor uh, who happened to know as much about the Bible as anybody you know you'll ever meet, and I and I walk up to him and I'm and I go, hey, pastor. Um, I don't know if I call him pastor, but hey, pastor, I said, uh, what is what is the significance of corn in the Bible? And I remember he looks at me and says, I don't know. I don't know. And he just let me, left me hanging there. And I thought, man, that was really perceptive of him because really what he was saying is you need to study it out. And he was right. Because I knew when he told me he didn't know, you know what I knew? He knew. He knew. <laughs> 
<laughs> and he was, without him telling me, go study it, I knew that he was telling me, if you really want to know what corn means, go study it. I've given you enough tools to study your Bible. Go study the Bible. And uh, that was all communicated with one response, which is, I don't know. And I was able to assimilate all that, and I knew what he meant. And so I did. I went and studied it out, and guess what Guess what? I figured out the corn was? It was the Bible itself, of course. And so uh, I learned about this very subject of corn. Uh, I didn't actually, and, and by the way, even though I figured out it was the Bible, it still took me several years to figure out that uh, corn of wheat was actually, the, the, the grain of the Middle East was wheat, not, not uh, maize, right? I had no idea. So it still took me years to fully grasp even the historical context of what was being talked about. But I got the doctrinal context before I even got the historical. Isn't that, isn't that wild? So God is teaching me doctrine when I'm a baby, a young Christian. And uh, it took me years. I was, I was probably, I think I was through shepherd school, probably almost 30 years old, before it occurred to me that the, the corn was actually not, not maize necessarily. But yeah, it was, well, no, I knew it was the word of God early, but I didn't actually know that it was, it was wheat corn. And so uh, that didn't even occur to me until much later. So there's just all these little things that the God, he just keeps showing you. And you're just like, wow, that's amazing. So... Um, I didn't think that you could call wheat corn, but it, it, in the Bible, it is often referring to wheat. That's what I'm talking about. So I had the doctrinal application before I fully had the historical context. Okay, but that's interesting because then, because I know that when I was going through Wycliffe and stuff, thinking about translating, they would say, you know, if there's nothing in their daily life that is in the Bible, like wheat or corn, then you have to either give a footnote or you have to use the other word. I mean, you know. Right. And we would uh, we would go with a formal equivalence. That's called a dynamic equivalence. Or they le- sometimes lead you to a dynamic equivalence. And you probably learned all of that. So uh, from Hartland's perspective, when it comes to translation, we would say, um, let's, let's use a lamb, for instance. Uh, we would say, use the word lamb, even if it's not in their culture. Even if, in Papua New Guinea, right. they don't have lambs. We're going to use the word lamb, or we'll transliterate the word lamb, uh, and we will then we will do footnotes on what a lamb is, or give them a dictionary, uh, because it's it's important to preserve the words of God, and not dynamic make it a dynamic equivalent. And so instead of a lamb, we're going to use a pig because they get a, they have pigs. So that's a diff- that's a good example between a dynamic what's called a dynamic equivalent. Uh, and what we would consider a literal formal translation. So uh, we lean toward, when it comes to translation, there are times even when you have a formal translation uh, process like we do, you still have to use dy- So it's, it's, it's inconsistent to say you can never, you never do tra- dynamic equivalents because there are, even in the New Testament, there's actually some examples where God has used a dynamic equivalent uh, here and there, the King James gang. But 90-something percent of the time, it's going to be a formal equivalence. Another example is the heart. And mm-hmm. in many languages, the heart it has no significance, but the liver does, or the another mm-hmm. part, another organ does, and so it would be the same type of thing. Right, and we and so like uh, for for yes, and so we are we we're consistent. This is a really good discussion. I don't know if anybody else is picking up on it, but but uh, that is that is a nuance to the difference between uh, a, a, a literal inter- like the King James gang. They just said bowels. They didn't get specific. You know, for the for the we call it bowels. The Middle Eastern was talking about the heart, so we they didn't like tell it. We have to figure that out. 
Same thing with corn. Corn was the word they used, which is which was a, which was appropriate, but it meant something different. So we got to dig to figure out the historical kind. Con- yeah, God doesn't. I mean, God actually expects us to use our brains. There's two aspects of this too, um, and I know I'm getting off on a tangent, but rarely, if ever, I can, inside I'm like jumping for joy that this is even brought up in the context of teaching the Bible. So uh, because most people don't know or care or even recognize what you're talking about, um, but it's so important because um, when it comes to translation work. Um, and this is sort of what we're dealing with. Like when I went up to Michigan, this is one of the reasons, for whatever reason, I, we're in, Heartland is in play here because we're publishing the word, we're talking about translating. So for some reason, I have to speak on these subjects, even though I have absolutely no business talking about it because uh, I'm not a translator. But I can look at what the, these translators have done to get the word of God into English. And we can also appeal to the Hebrew translators in the Old Testament, which delivered ultimately, uh, eventually we got the Masoretic text from that. And so uh, the, the, the Bible has always been translated literally, you know, from the beginning. And so uh, that is why you need preachers. That is why God gives teachers, Ephesians chapter 4. That is why he gives instruction. Uh, because it's not given that you can just pick up the Bible and understand it. Uh, without the aid of the Holy Ghost and the the structure, rather that be the uh, stewards of the law in the Old Testament, meaning the nation of Israel, uh, or in the New Testament, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so that get us, that does get us back to where we're talking about here with the need of the pastors that tread out the corn because it's we have to high, have a high value on the on the the Bible and the and the reason we we break it down so much. Um, is uh, and you and and you just I'll just use I don't it's not always good to use yourself as an example but I just was in uh, th- I just brought this up in homiletics class last week <clears throat> so I'm, I'm hearing a lot of a lot hear a lot of Hebrew and a lot of Greek words and blah 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 and I, don't get me wrong I'm I'm not against any of that but I did caution I'm like hey listen I, I look up Greek and Hebrew words all the time all right but when you're teaching the Bible. One of the best things you can do is help people see that word develop through the scripture. First mention, the simple basics that we use with first mention, last mention, uh, first mention New Testament. You know, uh, you can also look at, um, uh, oh gosh, the word's escaping me. But um, at any rate, using the basic principles of Bible study. Uh, and letting the Bible define words is so important, um, not just because of the way the King James Bible was translated, but because of the way God speaks through the Word of God. And so uh, our definitions, well, it is, and I do, I do occasionally, and I will, you'll hear me use different definitions in the Hebrew. I just did it with Jehovah a few weeks ago, right? And so I, I brought that out. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> when you're a pastor, uh, you'll know you'll know if a guy's reading. All he's doing is looking up Greek and Hebrew words and spouting out, um, you know, definitions that someone else developed. By the way, because the Strong's definition is not the same as an international standard Bible uh, dic- uh, encyclopedia definition as a Greek and Englishman's concordance. De- so there's even different variations on on how a, a Greek or a Hebrew word is is going to be um, rendered. Uh, and so you got, as you, and you know that from you know. So it's not necessarily uh, the law what you're reading there. It's in how you've understood the Hebrew or the Greek, and it's and, and so on and so forth. And then how it was used, and so that's even based on contextualization. So um, it's important that that uh, the pastor 
and sees that word uh, as it's used in the whole of the Bible and in the in the context of Scripture, um, as he obviously can look at the other at the, those languages. Uh, but you don't want to set up the original language as the absolute standard because there's times that it's it's not. It just isn't. So you look up something in Strong's and it says this, but then you look at the pattern through the King James Bible and you see that. And you're like, wait a minute, what? Because God preserves his word and he also uh, and he tra- and he helps with the process. Anyway, that's an exciting question to me when you talk about about dynamic equivalence and and getting into um, formal translation versus uh, dynamic uh, because what we're teaching right now is 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 you know to to use a formal like in Vietnamese formal equivalence um, in the Chichewa formal equivalence and and so there's there's concern well what if you're taking it from the King James into Malawi into Chichewa you know which they are they're not even using the Greek and Hebrew so um, well God'll take care of it you know he'll he'll take care of that so um, so yeah, Ron, did you have something to say? You know, you were just talking, it just occurred to me. It, we have become so, because we hear all of the quote-unquote great theologians on the radio and all of the big, you know, the, the big-time preachers, mm-hmm. we hear them quote Greek words and use, you know, Greek words, and they don't really know what they're talking about most of the time. But I think it... I think it brings us to the point where we don't really trust in the quote-unquote real Word of God, the, the Bible that we have in our hands, and the Holy Ghost to help us really understand. And, and we, if we almost use the Strongs and the Youngs and all of those as a, as a, as a crutch rather than a tool. I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I can actually give you a real, like, contemporary illustration. I don't know. I don't think this this audio will go all over the internet. So I'm going to be very can't give you some transparency here. Uh, this the the subject is like more real than people realize. I mean, more. It, it's not just something that we're talking about with the the, the theologians uh, from years gone by. Um, I've had conversations with people that are doing translation work, wanting to have schools of translation work, that, that I can... What you're saying, Ron, is just absolutely right. Uh, and if it's not the... And again, I want to be careful here. The, there's nothing wrong with examining the Greek and Hebrew. Right now, Arion, um, Arion um, Vogli, he's examining Greek, he's examining Hebrew, he's examining Italian, Italian and Italic, he's examining you know every uh, language that, that formed the... You know the the work that he's he's just like a King James translator. That's of course that's what you're going to do. You should do that when you're translating. Um, uh, but 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 having said that, um, and he's also using consulting the King James, and right, and he believes the King James just like we do in English is the Word of God. Um, <clears throat> praise God. But I've also had conversations with people who who educate in translation work, and these are not like wild eyed. Uh, dynamic equivalent, you know, believing that we need to create a, a translation that will teach everybody everything they need to know without a preacher, right? Because that's somewhat of what a, an easy read is. Um, I have more respect for someone who will say this is not a, this is a, this is a, what do they call that, a parallel, a paraphrase? I, I, at least they tell you it's a paraphrase, so okay, at least we know what we're getting. When they say it's a translation and it's not, that's really frustrating. And then it's just loaded with dynamic equivalents and really goes so far off the rails that it's it's confusing. Okay, so getting back to your point, Ron, um, 
and I say that I just want to say amen to what you're saying. It isn't even just Greek and Hebrew. It's just scholasticism and mysticism. There's something about the human element that likes to exalt man uh, and his knowledge, his Gnosticism, his, his, his secret knowledge above, above people. And I sat with someone not too long ago who was trying to pitch me on their, on their, their translation institute for our students. And they would tell you the King James Bible. I mean, these aren't people that are not like us. And this isn't, by the way, anyone in our Living Faith Fellowship either. So I want to clarify that. It's some outside of our, uh, outside of our, you know, our sphere a little bit. And one of the things that troubled me greatly as I as I listened was I was hearing the same thing. I was like, wait, wait, wait that is no different. What this individual was proposing is that you know you really don't understand the Bible. Until we get into the uh, the not the etymology, but the archaeology and the uh, and he's getting into all this and, and that this doesn't really mean this as as we think it says in the King James it means this because in the Hebrew it means that and then going way off into I'm like wait a minute if I can't read it sensibly in the King James then who am I going to depend on to define all these terms that you're telling me that this text in Matthew actually says. Now, what this fellow was trying to do was impress me with his knowledge so we would send people to his school. Inadvertently, what he was doing was undermining his own position, and I'm sitting there kind of cross-armed going, nope. <laughs> that is no different. That is no different than, than, than saying I got the, the hidden Greek and Hebrew knowledge and you don't have it. Uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily appealing just to the Greek or the Hebrew. He was appealing to the great uh, knowledge of, uh, what do you call it when you dig stuff up? and Archaeology. Uh, well, archaeology, and, and uh, there's another word, too, uh, for that, but uh, it's escaping me at this point. But, uh, yeah, he was a, he was appealing to that. And, uh, and so I was like, wow. Uh, that, what, what we're doing is setting up a system that you can't really understand the deep things of the Word unless you come through our school, right? And so I'm like... Why well, would the Bible Amen. It's the Spirit of God that gives us the deep things, isn't it? So, anyway, moving on. Uh, notice the use of the word elders here. Uh, there's a plurality of elders, of pastors. Oh my goodness, I'm out of time. So I'm going to stop here in just a second. So there's a plurality of, uh, of pastors that are developed to carry forth the mission. Uh, this is also important. I taught church government a couple sessions ago in HBI. It, he does say the elders plural that rule well so it's not a sin to have multiple elders there's some i did not realize that there are some who would be aghast that i would have a team of pastors at hbf right um which by the way i don't know how you get that out of the new testament so paul says the bishops and elders in the philippians i mean it's all over the new testament a plurality of pastors is a good thing not a bad thing uh but some would say look you can only have one pastor which obviously we do believe that as far as senior pastor there's you got to have the buck stop somewhere um but at the end of the day uh, elders not just elder the elders that rule well should be counted worthy of double honor. So it's plural. The apostles and Peter submitted uh, to the pastors as well. So these guys, uh, when they stepped out, if, if they submitted to the pastors. Ephesus, Philippi, many local churches uh, had a plurality of pastors and elders. There's also a diversity of elders at HBF as we have a diversity of pastors. Even though I'm the senior pastor, I lead the church. Each pastor has a different strength and grace they offer to the body of Christ. And so, let the elders that rule well be uh, worthy of double 
honor. So uh, with responsibility has to come humility, as I mentioned this morning. It's Jesus' church, it's his office, uh, and it's his fruit at length. So next time we get together, we'll get into point B. Don't receive accusations against an elder. Elders, what do you think I'm going to say? You'll have to wait till next week. It might be lightly, Ron. So... <laughs> <laughs> so, if I was a betting man, I'd bet on Ron Casson. <laughs> exactly. So, all right, well, that was good. I'm sorry, I, I got a little bit off course there because we got off course, but it was good. You got me excited about this issue of threading out the corn and and the nuances there. So, thank you for bringing up that question. And uh, one last comment, if I could. Sure. I think this is a very good point. You know, we talk about the Greek of the New Testament, and Randy makes the point in his uh, manuscript evidence in, uh, what does he call that thing now? Uh, Heritage of the Scriptures or something like that. Anyway, that the Greek language has been corrupted. So we can't even really depend on that as a, you know, I mean, I, I guess we can use it as a tool to some extent. Um, but the fact is that there are so many, you know, Westcott and Hort Greek texts, <laughs> the 27th edition or whatever, that you don't really know I mean, what's what. Yeah, they're constantly editing the, the, the man, quote, the original, right. which is far from it. Amen to that. You're, that's a good point, Ron. And if they had a text, if they had a TR Greek text, maybe, you know, I mean, right. mostly that exists somewhere, but... But we're not going to get that in our tools because most of the tools are like Strong's and stuff. They're not. I don't know. Right, and and you're right there too. The TR there is uh, there is no actual you know standard for even that. Uh, I mean, there's been one a guy named it a stand, the, the TR, but it was is always subject to being um, edited. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting subject. Really, and, and the issue of preservation is a, is a whole other kind of discussion on top of that. Which is again, those that doctrine can be taught from the Bible itself. Once you depart from the Bible and be, get another standard, well, then anything goes when the whistle blows. But ultimately, it is a faith issue, um, it, and this is important to me. This I had a, someone who's been disciple here just this last week. You know, they understand the doctrine we teach, but it really came to so this isn't just like way out there, right? Just last week, I had someone reach out to me, and they were like, really seriously asking, like, "Well, you know, if Jesus said it, is it of higher value than if it's over here in the Book of Peter? Like, the red words in red, you know, have more significance." And I was, I was actually kind of shocked. After you know, you've been through Lesson Five, you, you know, someone I thought would 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 know better, so to speak. Um, and so, so those are real. Uh, real, you know, some of what that is really a result of is scholasticism gone, gone awry, um, and I, and I can tell when you, I can tell when I see it, and I, and I see it, and so it's pervasive in our culture, um, and it's per, and even in our church. I mean, people get confused by it uh, because uh, because it is a um, it, it makes the word of God subject to the scholar instead of just letting it define itself. I'm just, I'm just really, I'm, I'm just really, I think it's just really important not to let people undermine the authority of the book. We've got a Bible, we need to hold to it, and we got to be careful with that. 
because once you go down that road, that slippery road, that only the words in red are really important, you know, even though what's-his-name sings about it, um, uh, Crowder, the words in red. Well, hey, all the words are all the word. It's God's word from Genesis to Revelation. And the more you study it, you know it. So... Chop the book of Isaiah out, and, you know, you start getting... Yeah. It's just not a good thing. It is not. I'm going to stop here for the recorder because I'm not... I think we're going to end this conversation officially. So if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. You can tune in any other Sunday, and we'll be back. Thank you.